Now let's go to Milo Stalik, co-director of Facets Multimedia. Hello. Good afternoon, Sandra. The um, Eastern Europeans are very anxious to portray what Glasnost is doing in all of Eastern Europe at the upcoming and just started Montreal Film Festival. First of all, the Soviet Union has a strong presence with a new film called Sir by a filmmaker named Sergei Bodrov, which deals <coughs> with a story that no one can imagine would have been possible years ago, the story of a juvenile delinquent who runs away from a reformatory where he's been placed and travels across Russia in order to find his father, who is in a very distant prison. This is a theme that obviously could never have been covered any number of years ago. Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. For close to 35 years, Friday afternoons on WBEZ meant a commentary from Milos Stalik from Facets. Milos passed away in July at the age of 70. We're going to celebrate Milos today with critics, filmmakers, and colleagues at Facets. And as we heard there, Milos has been at this for a very long time. Milos was friends with Sandra Gare, and Milos started helping her with programs called Live at Lowry's and Sandra on Sunday, which only super old-timers might remember. Um, Midday with Sandra Gare began in the early 1980s, and that was a clip from, from from the late 80s, about the earliest one I could find of Milos and Sandra, and took us all the way back to the Cold War and gave you a little sense of the Cold War film commentary that was going on with Milos Stalik. And we're going to begin with um, Milos's facets. And facets is a wonderful thing, and I don't know if people who've listened casually all these years recognize the many components of it and the many components of Milos that there were, but we're going to begin exploring there. With us is Charles Coleman, a film historian and program director at Facets. Great to see you, Charles. Thank you, Jerome. Also with me is Ann Vickstrom, festival director of the Chicago International Children's Film Festival, which Facets puts on every year. Great to see you. Thank you, sir. And Kathleen Beckman is here. She is education director at Facets and runs their film summer camps. Great to have you, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to, um, to start with you, Anne. You have known Milos a long time, and um, we were talking yesterday, and you talked about uh, the many different parts of Milos's personality, and he didn't show all of them to everyone, but he had um, he had so uh, so many interests that really kind of added up to to the thing that we heard on the radio every week. He was a, a, a kind of a Renaissance man of sorts. Definitely. He had a real Catholic sensibility and he was a real polymath. And I knew him uh, when I was technically, in a way, his intern. And I won't mention what year. And uh, <laughs> 1982. And there you, uh, did it. There you go. <laughs> and uh, for instance, my uh, career ended up actually going a completely different direction. I was involved in the recording industry and the music business. But uh, as a fond uh, remembrance, he actually had an extremely high level of knowledge of classical music. He had played violin in his youth and had this complete parallel. I never knew that. I didn't know Milos I, played violin. Uh, and we would, um, <laughs> you know, talk about, went to the symphony a couple few times and talk about various performers and, for instance, the Carl Theodore Dreyer film I would be, you know, is that the Penderecki soundtrack version? And he was, and he would just, he had the level and the breadth and the depth of so many different types of 
uh, high level intellectual, emotional um, uh, capacity that there are a lot of facets, pun intended, of Milos that a lot of folks don't even know about. <laughs> um, Charles, and this contributes to what he brings to film and what kind of what you can get out of film is uh, all these other things. Yeah, the thing about film that Milos embodied uh, with a very strong sense of passion and a sense of mission is that film is a keystone aspect of knowing more about the world and it introduced you to so many doors, literature, music, politics, culture. And Milos, as Anne stated about his very impressive cultural credentials, he had an impressive library of books from all over the world. And the more you know about books, the more you know about film. And the more you know about film, you know about where the source of these ideas come from. And Milos also knew that uh, film is the best way to be like a gateway to know more about people, their indigenous aspects. And also, it's a way to, when you demystify the foreignness of things, it becomes so familiar that your curiosity is provoked. And then that basically leads you to know more about other films. And just like anyone would know about the author of a book, you know about the fil filmmaker as a person and their artistic um, drive. And the whole thing becomes um, a beautiful world to navigate. I was. I wanted to do something about the origin story of facets and how it came to be, and I dug up on the internet something that Roger Ebert wrote uh, for the Telluride Film Festival when uh, Milos was getting a silver medallion that year, and they had a little bit in the program to describe who he was, and Roger wrote it, and I thought I'd read uh, a section of it. It's pretty long, but it's pretty good. Milos has taken it as his mission to show movies, especially movies that are difficult, obscure, or friendless. He began in Chicago by renting an abandoned church and showing movies on the altar. He continued by buying an old printing plant <laughs> and hewing two screening rooms out of it. Today, his Facets Multimedia offers the largest, most venturesome selection of videos in the world. Milos was born in Czechoslovakia and brought to Chicago in 1962. By 1971, he was running a used bookstore. On Dostoevsky's 150th birthday, he rented The Idiot and held a screening and enjoyed the experience so much that soon he held a Czech film week. He met Nicole Dresky, who was interested in experimental theater, and they merged the two art forms into facets, which moved from venue to venue before settling in the church. The first permanent home is symbolic. Milos sees himself, I think, as an evangelist of film and the viewing of good movies and ex as an exemplary act that he wishes to encourage in others. I met him in the 1970s when he was living hand-to-mouth and sticking his posters up all over Chicago, advertising new musicals from Red China. It was Milos who truly introduced me to Werner Herzog. I'd seen signs of life. But Herzog didn't make a deep impression until Milos held the Midwest premiere of A Gary Wrath of God in his little church. That film that day fixed Herzog forever in my pantheon. Milos was not finished with me. Thin with a careless mustache, always seeming a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> he called time and again with new discoveries. He wanted me to see Gates of Heaven by Earl Morris. He would not tell me what it was about because nobody will ever want to see a movie if they know what it's about. I found it one of the most mysterious and engrossing films I'd seen. 
By then, Milos was in his new headquarters on West Fullerton. I visited during construction and saw Milos up on a ladder hanging drywall. He built a small theater and a smaller one and showed films from the fringes, the edges, the depths, and he persuaded his heroes to come for tributes. Herzog, Mal, René, uh, Makaveev, uh, in the early 1980s, Milos embraced home video. He began a rental operation specializing in art, foreign documentary, and experimental silent and short films. It grew. He published a catalog, and it grew until today. Facets is the most important single source for cinema on video. His catalog treasures and prom- he catalogs treasures and promotes and directors such as Kiristami this year at Telluride for the first time. It lacks a f- if a film lacks a distributor, Facets will sometimes issue the video itself. There was a time when young s- filmgoers got an education at film societies. Today, many societies have folded the victims of video rentals. But Milos is like a programmer of virtual of a virtual film society. His catalog suggests what you should, might, or could be watching. He stays the course and facets marches on. And that was Roger Ebert from the uh, catalog of the Telluride Film Festival back in the day. Well said, Roger. That was pretty good. That was, <laughs> I really enjoyed the references to Herzog and Earl Morris, which we were talking about yesterday, Charles. There, there were both um, people that Milos helped promote in this country. Well, when when Milos had the Lutheran Church, um, and he, like you said, he had the screen down at the altar that he thought was really appropriate, and the projector was actually up in the the rafters of the of the church. Uh, you, it, the seats were so hard in the pews that all the regulars were encouraged to bring their own pillows and cushions. Nice. And Roger used to stop by. And that's how uh, Milos met Roger. And then you're alluding to these other filmmakers. Louis Mal came by uh, and thought it was a great experience. And, and it was almost like a, a, like a tribe of people belonging to a, a common cause. And Milos wanted to stay at the church, but uh, some entrepreneurs decided to buy it. So once it was sold, then he moved to, to the address on Fullerton. It used to be a, a printing plant for – like women's wear daily, and the German uh, Hausfrau. German <laughs> Hausfrau. Yep. Wow. And then when he and Nicole got married, uh, Milo says, "I have a typewriter," and Nicole says, "I have forty dollars." <laughs> so that's how they copyrighted the name. <laughs> and then, and then there was a space that fastest for Nicole's experimental theater, and then Milo had the, ch- the first children's film festival in the basement, and then we also had the 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 the. Um, video store in the basement. It looked like a motorcycle club, beat-up couches, TVs. It was almost like the, Susan Songtag called it Alibaba's Cavern when she came by to see it. And uh, so over the years, um, then it was, then became a matter of trying to buy the building, which cost like $40,000. And then fortunately, the money together was garnered. And then, as you pointed about Milos with the drywall, he knew a friend who was an architect, got a lot of volunteers to Sure up facets, and back in that time period, facets looked like something you would see in Soho, New York. Where there was graffiti on the walls, graf- uh, fantastic murals, fuzzy chairs, gold coasters. You know, when I was uh, in high school, like when when we first got our license and wanted to do something edgy, we would go to facets. We would drive <laughs> to facets to see that you know 
that new edgy film, and it was all that stuff, and it was so uh, I felt so sophisticated. And people didn't mind seeing the movie on a sheet when he was at the church. If you can see a movie on white and white subtitles on a sheet, you're committed. <laughs> so then people dealt with the 60 millimeter projectors and the projection, but the Milos was showing all of these films, like you said, the early Herzog films and. Aaron Morris and Louis Mao. I mean, he would show the things that really needed to be spoken to. And the same thing with Milos Forman right. uh, was one of his friends. And then Dusan Makaveev, the great Yugoslavian director. And there, and there are people who are hardcore fans because they remember that, be- that lovely period in the 60s and 70s where people were uh, dedicated film goers. I want to talk about some of the other aspects of facets people may not know about from, from casual listening to the program. Um, Kathleen Beckman, education director. There is a film summer camp at Facets. Um, uh, explain the educational programs that Milos and uh, Facets have been doing. Oh, yeah. Um, the Facets Film 101 program has been going on for 25 years. We actually um, uh, teach kids about film appreciation, film vocabulary, production, of course. Uh, we do critique and review film history. No other film program is like it. So it's we're really proud of it. It's come a long way in 25 years, and there have been kids that have been inspired to go on to so many different things, including film and film studies. But it's a window to the world. It's 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 a jumping off point for new perspectives. So a, a film summer camp sounds so fun. <laughs> I wish I could have gone to a film summer camp. That's what everybody says. Actually, all the parents say, "Oh, I wish this was around when I was a kid." It's around when your kids are kids. So you also bring them the, on now. You also have the Young Chicago <laughs> critics for the for the kids as well. Yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, kids who are graduates of the summer camp do go on to be jurors for the Chicago International Children's Film Festival, which is coming up November 1st through 10th. Uh, and it's an opportunity to see a, about 250 new films from around the world for kids. So, um, And Kathleen Beckman, or, or, uh, that's Kathleen Beckman, and Ann Vickstrom is the festival director of the Children's Film Festival. Explain, you know, Charles just said it started in the basement and... <laughs> Um, this was not a. This was a. This is a vanguard operation. Nobody was doing children's film festivals at the time. Uh, in North America, correct. Uh, we're the uh, oldest in North and South America, and um, because in Europe it was, it's been a longstanding tradition. But this was very much, you know, bringing kids to watch uh, independent film. What you know, that was a very uh, uh, edgy thing to do. But it is now uh, the largest in the world in terms of the number of films. We welcome, as Kate mentioned, an average of 250 films from 45 countries or so. Uh, the, the moving forward uh, element, though, is it became the first in the world to be Academy Award qualifying. And uh, that means uh, since, for instance, 2008, 60% of our uh, selected films uh, went on to be nominated or be on short-lived shortlist for the Oscar, and last season we had 80% of the nominated uh, animated shorts. So it's from the basement, big dreams, and now a lot of uh, success and a lot of attention. We're very proud. I used to go with my children when they were young, and now uh, the... <laughs> which is uh, a couple years ago. Which is a couple years ago. Um, I, do, do, do people go just grown-ups by themselves just because the, the films are so cool? Thanks for bringing that up. It's not just for little guys. The, it's a misnomer in terms of we do program from ages 2 to 18. So if you like edgy animation, 
which uh, is one of our strong suits. We have about 50 shorts programs, and uh, our strong suit is animation. We also obviously do docs and live-action narrative, but uh, we have most of the film festivals for kids are, are largely features, and our strength is in the shorts, not to... Dis, um, uh, uh, say anything bad about the features, but it's it's short films for short people. <laughs> Their attention span is short, and uh, the creativity is in the shorts. It's it's to your point. There, it's a very high level. That's why the the we've got such a lovely attention from Oscar. Is that it's really extraordinary. You absolutely do not. You don't have to bring a kid. You can. You are totally allowed to come. Now uh, that starts November first. Correct. And I wanted to, is, are there any other memories you want to share about Milos? Is there any truth-telling you want to do about Milos and how he ran facets? Well, that article that you read, I mean, there were nuggets there that absolutely <laughs> rung true till the day he died. I mean, him, he worked so hard. He was the job. For everything. He was the job. That he created and he believed in, and we saw it, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly, every single day. Yeah, he actually asked the impossible, and sometimes it actually happened. And the, the other thing is... Uh, what you realize is that anybody that has his drive and the, and, the, and the idea about starting something like facets, you know, literally coming out of nowhere, you, you, it doesn't happen all by itself. Because once you establish the foundation, then you need talented people to fulfill the vision. And he also let us or allowed us that to to actually demonstrate our skill set and experience to meet this fulfillment goal, and 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 it all uh, converges toward a unified focus. And um, but the main thing is just the diversity of what the world can offer. Uh, and and film is such a a cluster. It's it's like a constellation, uh, and you're just navigating like an astronaut. And uh, and then and once people discover that as- that aspect, what fastest can offer, they never go back to Earth. They they stay in orbit and find out uh, find out new bodies of uh, of, of of stellar ideas. Amen to that. Charles Coleman is film historian and program director at Facets, and Vickstrom is the festival director of the Chicago International Children's Film Festival starting on November first. And Kathleen Beckman is the education director at Facets. And I want to mention uh, before we go that there is a memorial at the Arts Club on October fifteenth. Um, it's probably kind of overflow situation, but um, that is there. And in December there is going to be an open house at Facets remembering Milos. I know Elizabeth. Uh, Milos's wife is is gung ho for an uh, open house, and I think that sounds like fun too. I will definitely. And we're going to show uh, his favorite films for without charge, and um, and we're going to have the screening schedule available for that uh, uh, open house at a later date. But it'll be on December the eighth. Well, we'll stay in touch and uh, keep up the great work, everybody. Thank, Thank you, Thank you so much. Very much appreciate it. Worldview film contributor Milos Stalik is here to talk about this enduring brand. Hey, Milos. This remarkable, incredible, astounding, and astonishing brand. It's just a spy thing. It's just a spy guy. It's just a spy guy, but I think that the Bond franchise altogether, and including Skyfall, is really the best index of the emotional, political, global state 
that we are in. And what I mean by that, you can throw away all the news, you can give up your subscription to the New York Times, just go and watch all the James Bond movies, and you will get a better portrait of what we have gone through in the last 50 years and what we really think and how we feel about politics and international affairs than almost anything else. A truly great work of art suspends our belief and lets us live in the artist's own unique universe. This is as true of the paintings of Rembrandt as of Picasso, as it is of the stories or novels of Kafka or Tolstoy. There is most certainly a very unique universe in the work of Ingmar Bergman. Most of us don't spend our days agonizing over the question if God exists— But watching Bergman's Winter Light or Through a Glass Darkly, we are enveloped in a Bergmanesque universe in which this question becomes a deeply felt issue of life or death for us. When in Through a Glass Darkly, Harriet Anderson sees God as a spider, the horror and the violence of Bergman's intense interior universe crushes us. We reach out in empathy to the screen and then back to ourselves. I recently spent a lot of time with some of the middle-period Bergman films like The Silence and Persona. Like it might be for many, I returned to Bergman and these films after many years of absence. I can safely report that the return to Bergman is a rewarding journey. Very frankly, films just don't get better than this. It is easiest but falsely misleading to try to interpret Bergman's work just on the basis of his life, for example, the miserable childhood he often recounts. But such analysis is deceptive. It's true that Bergman, like Fellini, often use episodes and elements from his own life for material in his films. But both Fellini and Bergman are grand and self-admitted liars. Fellini's lies to keep his infidelities away from the loving Giulietta Messina have been well documented since his death. In his autobiography, Bergman says that the reason he survived the humiliations of his childhood with less damage than either his older brother or younger sister is because early on he learned to lie. Obviously, the line which separates Bergman as a born liar and as a great artist is a thin one. The important thing to know is that in portending to reveal to us something autobiographical and intimately personal, we could just as well be the ardent believers in a grand fib. There's Milos Stalik, our film contributor, remembering Igmar Bergman and doing a smashing job of it. Uh, I'm Drew McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. And we're going to talk about Milos the Critic now. With us is Nari Safavi, our friend from Weekend Passport and co-founder of the Pasvarda Arts and Cultural Exchange. Great to see you, Nari. Good day, Jerome. It's great to be here. And returning to Bergman, returning to Milos Stalik is also just as rewarding. Charles Coleman stays on with us from Facets. And uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum is here. He was the head film critic at the Chicago Reader from 1987 to 2008 and has written a bunch of books uh, recently. And it's uh, good to see you. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, Being a film critic is hard. And I mean, look what in that little bit 
uh, Milos was weaving together all sorts of things, uh, memories, a, uh, um, you know, things that are personal, things that are uh, – how do you do that stuff? Well, I don't know. What I thought was kind of interesting about it, uh, I don't – I hope this is not – in, in a way, Milos was writing, was talking about himself. He wasn't just talking about Bergman because Bergman, he was someone who basically uh, worked under the radar. And I think he was. It was his way of saying that Bergman worked under the radar too. That that sometimes you can do, you can get the most done if you have a low profile. And what amazed me was that, for instance, two of my, well, I don't know, my favorite filmmakers. For me, the greatest of all Iranian films is uh, a film made by the great uh, Iranian. Uh, woman poet uh, Farouk Farazad, The House is Black, and Milos brought it out on DVD. Uh, the great, for me, the greatest of all Chicago filmmakers is Peter Thompson, who's barely known at all. In fact, when Peter Thompson died, they wouldn't run a, you know, a, an obit in either the Tribune or the Sun-Times, and I couldn't even get them on the phone to write an obit when I was in Sarajevo at the time. But Milos brought out the complete works of, uh, or almost, you know, what were at the time the complete works of Peter Thompson on uh, VHS. So he was doing all kinds of stuff, but he wasn't advertising himself. He was basically advertising the work, and that's why we didn't notice or appreciate what he was doing a lot of the time. Um, what, what did you think, Charles, when you heard the, the Bergman uh, review there? Well, I do think that the standard of taste when it comes to the choices you make that amplify your own preferences, they always say that film critics find delight in unexpected places. And as Jonathan alluded to, the obscurity is as a way for someone to make new discoveries. It's like going on a mining expedition. And then you make this discovery, and it's not about taking proper credit. It's about putting the spotlight on something where the neglect is undeserved. And Milos was really good at, at unearthing these, 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 uh, these filmmakers. Because even if it was a familiar filmmaker like Louis Mal or Ingmar Bergman, he would actually find the one film of theirs that was given the least amount of attention is just as important as the other films that are better known. And that was one of his, his gifts as a, as a curator and as a, um, as a, as a navigator to find these things and then bring it to other people to see it. And then that way you can have a great discussion. You know, I, I was just reading uh, previously uh, something that Roger Ebert wrote about Milos at the Telluride Film Festival when he got a uh, silver medallion a bunch of years ago. But it, uh, Telluride had not uh, screened a Kiristami movie yet. They were screening their first Kiristami movie that year. And uh, Milos had already done that. Uh, he, he had them in his catalog. He, it was, exactly. he was selling them. Yeah, he had the largest catalog of Iranian cinema for many, many years, for decades. Uh, during the years of Iranian Revolution, Iran-Iraq War, and all the sanctions that the United States government was imposing on Iran and is still imposing on Iran, he still would manage to 
put that uh, to that very significant, uh, you know, a collection of Iranian cinema available, including the one that Jonathan mentioned, "The House Is Black" by Farouk Farouzad, the poet, uh, and uh, sh- and he is also he would go to uh, when Americans could not go to Iran, he would go to the Faj Film Festival in Tehran and actually pick up some films to bring back to Chicago. Uh, so he was really an incredible, uh, you know, had had a very uh, very encyclopedic understanding of Iranian cinema, and he picked it just at the right moment when the uh, when the when that cinema was peaking and the globe, uh, the world was starting to recognize it. Now we've got a clip of a uh, Iranian filmmaker you brought to see Milos uh, not too long ago. Uh, set this up for us. Yeah, Darius Merjoui is uh, is one of the legendary Iranian uh, filmmakers, and he's a child of the '60s. He went uh, to UCLA in the '60s studying philosophy and cinema and uh, he is uh, f- about uh, in, this is I think in 2007 which was the 40th anniversary of his first feature length film called The Cow winning both the Chicago International Film Festival winning an award there and also at the Venice Film Festival and we brought him in uh, uh, for the for the 40th anniversary to Chicago and uh, I, uh, I told Milos that I'm doing that and Milos said I want to have an interview with him so uh, this is the interview uh, as uh, Dariush came in, and I'll tell you what happened after the in- interview. A Los Angeles Times film critic recently declared Darius Merjoui as one of Iran's most accomplished and courageous filmmakers for four decades. His 1969 film The Cow made him an Iranian new wave cinema icon, and while he's won dozens of awards internationally, he's faced extensive censorship back home. Worldview film commentator Milo Stalek talked with Darius recently, and he asked him why he has such trouble getting his film shown in Iran. Well, that's, I don't know, it's just my um, bad luck, <laughs> or maybe good luck, because uh, ever since I made a film uh, starting with The Cow, which was my first film, which made a big international hit, the film was uh, banned for almost a year and a half. And this was banned by the Shah. You made this in Iran right. and banned by the Shah. That's That was banned by the Shah. And then after that, we just smuggled uh, a copy after a year and a half to Paris. And they went to Venice Film Festival and it uh, made a big hit there. Mm-hmm. And they call it Revelazione dell'Iran, uh, Revelation from Iran. And it uh, received a lot of good uh, critics and uh, also some prizes. And suddenly it became international hit. And because of that, therefore, when I went back to my country, nobody really bothered me. And after a while, the film received its uh, permission to be shown. The young people, the young generation in Iran, is there something different about them, how they relate to cinema? We are a nation of poets, not only for the intellectuals, but even the common people. They always live with poetry, and they always recite you know, poetic mm-hmm. expressions. And where do you get this? From school, from parents, from family? Why is that such an integral part of Iranian culture? I don't know. It's just because we are probably too emotional. Or <laughs> <laughs> but nowadays, poetry has turned into films. So the young generation are very much enthused by this medium of cinema, and they are doing a lot of work. But again, it's just uh, this uh, the censorship problem, which they also face a lot. 
That's film contributor Milos Stalik with Dariush Merjui and uh, Nari Safavi. Explain that, what happened after That little exchange is so <laughs> revealing about so many things, about Merjui, about Iran and Iranian cinema, Iranian culture, and Milos. And uh, when I brought, uh, brought uh, Dariush Merjui, I should let you know, Dariush Merjui is a very tough guy to police, and he's not easily impressed. He is, uh, he is a guy, we know, he's in philosophy, he's film, and he's... And he didn't know who Milos Stelik is. And I just he just thought he will be coming and doing a standard interview or something. And then uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then after when the f- uh, interview was finished with Milos, uh, he walked out of this very studio by the door. And he comes up to me, holding in his hand and saying, who the hell is that guy who just <laughs> interviewed me? He knows so much about global cinema, about Iranian cinema. You know, I said, I what did you bring me into? I didn't know I was going to get... So it was... He found... He had profound respect for Milos after that. And he is... Uh, and I'm really glad that we found this clip. I'm going to email it to Dariush Merjui and say, hey, remember this? So it was It was a very interesting day that day. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, uh, people became real friendly with them, filmmakers, when they knew how much he knew. Uh, exactly. Was, like, was a big exactly. Was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like you. Um, we're talking about film contributor Milos Delek. He passed away at the age of 70 um, earlier this year in July, and we're remembering him today on Worldview. We're going to be back with more after the break. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. on WBEZ. I'm Alexandra Solomon. Well, last week we checked in with film contributor Milos Delic at the Cannes Film Festival, and he told us which film he thought would win the Palme d'Or Grand Prize. Here's what he had to say last week. I know what the film is, and if this jury is so stupid that it doesn't give it to this film, film has no future. <laughs> All right. Don't keep us in suspense. Which one is it then that's going to take on the prize? It's the new Romanian film called uh, Graduation by Christian Munju. 
Well, Graduation did not win. The prize went to Ken Loach for his film, I, Daniel Blake. Still, Milos has returned from the Cannes Film Festival, and he's joining me now. Hello, Milos. Hey, Alexandra, great to be here. Well, what this proves is two things. One is that, of course, I'm always wrong <laughs> picking, picking anything. That's why I've never won a single, uh, you know, dollar prize at a shooting range. Nothing you ever. Bet. You don't Not, bet. You don't bet at the odds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's one. And two is that the jury was stupid. Okay. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not alone in that. There's film contributor Milos Stalik with Alexandra Sol- Solomon talking about the Cannes Film Festival. We're remembering Milos Stalik today. He passed away in July at the age of 70. And, uh, you know, for a lot, I, you know, I thought it was so great the way he brought the festivals to Chicago through his commentaries. And there were, um, you know, the New York Times has a contributor, uh, you know, do, writing up a con and things like that. And we had Milos. And I thought that was a great thing to always have the scoop on Khan. And, you know, he was right in there rivaling the top critics in the nation uh, who were who were at Khan every year. I thought that was a terrific thing. Um, Jonathan, uh, do you want to remember something about Milos? Well, I'm, I have a particular fond memory of uh, when Milos brought a very difficult film to Chicago for a whole week called The Death of Empedocles, which is a film by... Um, this couple of uh, Jean-Marie Straub and Daniel Huillet. Uh, Huillet actually di- uh, tragically died a few years ago, but Straub is still alive. Um, and they're really major figures in European cinema, but because they come from a kind of European Marxist tradition, they're considered you know, very difficult for Americans. I mean, I think in some ways their films are both very easy and very difficult. But in any case... Nobody in Chicago would show, you know, would at a certain point they just stopped showing their films in Chicago. And I said to Milos, look, if, because nobody else would show it. I said, look, if you, would, if you show The Death of Empedocles, I promise to write about it for the reader. And sure enough, he, he showed it for a whole week. And not many people came. But I think for many of those who did come, it really meant a lot. And uh, I always appreciated that fearlessness he had. That, that basically he was a kind of person who would take on things that nobody else would even consider. And that's a, that's a great tribute to uh, Milo Stalik from Jonathan Rosenbaum, film critic of The Reader for many years. Uh, we want to talk about Milos as a promoter of independent cinema, of local independent cinema. And on the line with us is Gordon Quinn, founder and artistic director of Cartemquin. And uh, Steve James uh, is the Academy Award-nominated filmmaker and producer, uh, most recently of America to Me. Uh, nice to talk with you, Steve. Yeah, great to talk to you guys. Um, uh, what does it mean to have a backer like Milo Stalik if you are a independent filmmaker? Well, it means a lot. And, and your program, you know, was a real champion uh, through Milos. And, uh, you know, over the years... When it, whenever I made anything, and, and I know this applies to Gordon as well, uh, and Cartemkin as a whole, he was just, he, he always avidly watched our work and, and then made it a point to bring us onto the program and to talk about it. And it was so clear, you know, he didn't just watch it, he, he really watched it. And, you know, when you, would, when you would be talking with him before we went on the air, he, you know, he would just be delighted to talk creatively about what what the film was about and what he took away from it. And that enthusiasm and that commitment to, 
independent local filmmakers was, you know, second to none. Well, it was great that you did a remembrance page for Milo Stelic at Kartemkwen and had a bunch of people who commented on it um, from the organization. Yeah, yeah, the Gordon. Yeah, Gordon did that. Um, uh, so th- that's uh, – and it's um, uh, a nice thing to think that Milos had this effect and, and could really remember independent filmmakers um, all the time. I, You know, we did a, a segment with Tom Palazzolo not too long ago. It was a couple years ago. And Tom Palazzolo made um, yeah, 8-millimeter films and 16-millimeter films that were really terrific and amazing. And he did one on um, on Marquette Park and the Nazi marches at Marquette Park. And after Charlottesville, uh, Milos said, "Hey, let's get this. Let's get Tom Palazzolo yeah. <laughs> in there and talk about <laughs> talk about things." So yes. uh, we'll play a clip of that right now. And here's uh, Milos and Tom Palazzolo re- reflecting on Nazis and alt right. I think that Tom Palazzolo is defines what an independent filmmaker is. You said someplace uh, in an interview, I think in the book Hollywood and Lake Michigan, that you found the neo-Nazis more pathetic and sad than anything else. You know, I guess I I, I have to say, <laughs> a part of me, uh, you know, of course, their message is horrible and awful, and but, you know... If they'd only grown up in Oak Park, uh, everything it would be it would be a different story, you know. Uh. Um, the, Tom Palazzolo reflecting on what would, what could have changed the Nazis uh, who were marching in Marquette Park. Um, it was uh, uh, it was a great call, I thought, to kind of reflect on the and the absurdity of it all. Um, also joining us now is Gordon Quinn from Kartemquin Films. Thanks for joining us, Gordon. And thanks for the nice uh, remembrance page you did of Milos uh, not long ago after he passed. Thanks. Yeah, glad to be here. And uh, also a big fan of your show. Thank you. Uh, tell me, uh, Gordon, do you have a favorite memory of Milos you'd like to share? You know, I remember Milos from the beginnings of Facets when it was in the church. Uh, and... You know, one of my favorite memories is uh, my partner, uh, Jerry Blumenthal, standing up and having a meltdown over the, the projection problems that they were having. <laughs> to calm him down. But, you know, to me, one of the things, and I, I was just at Facets uh, uh, two nights ago uh, with uh, Rodney Evans' film, and it was, again, one of those things that I think was so important about what Milos built at Facets, which is Rodney Evans is an African-American filmmaker who's losing his sight, and his film is about, you know, about his own experience and other African-American, other artists who are losing their sights. It's not really about African-Americans. It's about the disability. And Facets was showing it in the main theater, and then you could see it with audio description for people who wanted that in the smaller theater. So I went and got saw it with the audio description. And Milos understood that how to bring in these segmented audiences together. Uh, I used to love it when he would have films from all over the world, from different countries, from Czechoslovakia, Hungary, uh, Hungary, Poland. And he would reach out to all those communities in Chicago and bring the native speakers into the theater. Uh, and realized that that was a way to build his audience also. 
Uh, that was a great thing, wasn't it? I'm Nari, I mean, we did events with the Iranian uh, uh, people there, the Iranian community, and um, all sorts of things. Well, he is uh, his sensitivity were truly both global and local. He exemplified being yeah. that, and how these uh, how this global sensitivity and his global knowledge of cinema related to the particular communities in Chicago, and just how even when you're outside of your own community, just broaden your own horizons and get you know. I got to understand a little Czech cinema a little bit better and the Polish cinema a little bit better through all of that, and. It's uh, it was he was truly a world citizen that cared about what was going on locally at the grassroots also and uh, we are all indebted to him because of that and uh, you know he also did things that were just of public uh, interest he thought I, I did a event with him recently on universal basic income before everybody was talking about universal basic income um, we had like one of the key guys from Europe who was coming through and we did a public session it was great and you know it wasn't really about film he was he was kind of beyond film at, uh, you know he, he was he was doing stuff just cause well, yeah, I mean, I really think he was interested in the world. And, you know, that's not true of a lot of – there are a lot of uh, film re- film reviewers and film critics who are just interested in film as film. But I can remember Milos was the first person who showed a film uh, – an Afghan film during the, you know, the first Gulf War. And it was like it got a huge audience and everything. And he was the one who did it. It could have shown at a lot of other theaters. But he was the one who actually had the – well, foresight to actually bring, you know, to bring it in. Um, yeah, one of you guys will remember, uh, wasn't Fast, It's the One, what was that very controversial film uh, where the, the city council went berserk and went after Facets and we all had to go down and testify? Hail Mary, Char- Charles Coleman. Virgin Mary. Well, Hail yeah, Mary by Hail Jean-Luc Godard. Yeah, yeah. And, it you know, it was a huge uh, fuss. And Milos, like... He programmed it, and then he stood behind it, and he said, yeah, we're doing this. And when they called hearings and stuff, we went down to testify. And Roger Ebert actually didn't even, didn't really like the film, but he defended Milish's right to show it. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm, I'm actually down in uh, Carbondale at the, at the Ebert Symposium. Well, actually, if he had an idea for activism through cinema, Milos was probably one of the first peoples you wanted to go to. Just uh, He would always be receptive to your ideas, and we did things like petition drives for Iranian cin- uh, uh, filmmakers who were persecuted. And also later on, there was a whole series of... Uh, 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 films, documentaries produced by Al Jazeera about poetry of the Arab Spring, the poets of the Arab countries who actually uh, became voice of their people. And I went to Milos uh, in, uh, in partnership with a Guild Complex. We pitched him the idea of doing it at Facets. He was he said to us right away in 15 minutes that you can do it. So this is this was what Milos was, uh, and he really helped try to make your job as a film actor a lot easier for you. And um, Milos, you know, he was he did he pushed all kinds of boundaries, including about eroticism. He was he thought that you know American cinema was squeamish regarding eroticism, and he did this interview, and we've got a clip here where he talked about it with French director Claire Denis, who was in town to promote her first English language film, the sci-fi flick High Life. I love the quote that you made about High Life, in which you said that you forbade yourself any nude scenes. 
And that's a very beautiful line. High life speaks only in desire and fluids. Yes. And then that second part of that quote is also really beautiful because it says, for me, the most erotic scene in the film is when a young inmate masturbates while staring at Julia drying her hair in front of a ventilation shaft. Yes, it's true. <laughs> because to me, finding an erotic moment in cinema generally is not so easy. Cinema is a difficult time, I think, filming true erotic scenes. But scene. cinema is really has the link with erotism, mm -hmm. you know, and physics. And then the other thing was this brilliant idea of the design by Olafur Eliasson, who worked with you on this. Olafur, he can build a, a table, a chair, a lamp. It's exactly the same if it's a spaceship, you know. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be done and touched mm -hmm. and felt. And the design for the spaceship, which is... It's a box. It's a box. It's a jail. Because the rest of it is the garden, the medical center, which is downstairs, which... The locker room. Uh, which, the locker which Juliet mm. Binoche is, mm. the doctor. And is the, the morgue. And the morgue. Mm. And then you have basically a corridor with cells. Yeah. And, and the fuck box. <laughs> and in this... Um, this masturbation machine. The masturbation machine, in which Juliet Binoche uses use. use uh, profusely or with, with pleasure... Only once. Only once. But in <laughs> Only a, great, <laughs> a great ones. Only <laughs> great ones, right. But there's Milos and uh, Claire Denis talking, pushing the boundaries on eroticism there in film. And, uh, you know, I got to say, when, once, uh, Like Water for Chocolate, great movie. Um, there was a, an actress in it who rode naked on horseback, on, on a white horse in that film. Like Lady Godiva. And um, yeah. she, wasn't, she wasn't a particularly big actress or anything, but when she came to town, Milo sure wanted to interview her. And he wanted to talk to that woman. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little disappointed afterwards, but you know, he did it. I, I think maybe he shared uh, some traits that Roger Ebert shared in that regard. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. One of the things that I just wanted to say, and I, I was fortunate enough to find a quote from Michael Phillips' article online because I, I got to know Milos a little better during the making of the Ebert documentary because those two guys were so close. And um, you know, at Roger's memorial service, he got up and, and read a letter that was really I remember quite moving, and and. My memory is not so great, but I was able to find the quote from uh, Michael Phillips where he said at the ceremony, he said, uh, talking, you know, addressing it to Roger, he said, the embrace of your illness gave us courage. You showed us what movies in life can teach us. And certainly I think that, you know, <laughs> applies greatly to Milos himself. Absolutely. Steve James, uh, filmmaker, and Gordon Quinn, founder and artistic director of Kartemkin Films, thanks very much for joining us and remembering filmmaker Milos Stalek. Also, also, thanks to um, everyone who's been here in the studio with me, Jonathan Rosenbaum, uh, film critic for The Reader for many years and a host of new books out, uh, Charles Coleman, film historian, program director at Facets, and Nari Safavi, co-founder at the Prasvarta Arts and Cultural Exchange. So um, hopefully, you know, you have valued Miloš's contribution over the years and uh, the memorial service. Once again, the Facets Memorial Service is October 15th at the Arts Club and December 8th, uh, all day long, Charles Coleman, there is going to be films that Miloš loved at Facets, uh, an open house at Facets on December 8th. That sounds terrific. Yeah, he had many favorites and it's going to be a 
wonderful experience plunging into the the mind of of his enormous and impressive creativity. We will do that December 8th at Facets. Thank you very much for joining us. Worldviews produced by Steve Bynum, Julian Haida, and Ashish Valentine. Thanks to Mike Gilmore for engineering. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ.